Hey, good morning. Good to see you and happy new year almost, right? We got a few more days left, but uh, great to see you here. Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching in just a minute. My name is Mike and I'm one of the pastors, uh, but I got a couple quick announcements for you. First of all, I want to give you an update on JD. JD's our worship pastor here, among other things. And, uh, you know, he's had this serious case of pancreatitis that, that took forever to figure out this whole fall. You may have seen him here on Christmas Eve. He was actually on stage. Couldn't actually perform the song he was supposed to because he just didn't have the strength to do it. But uh, he's been waiting for this surgery. And it's kind of one of those HMOs where they, you know, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, like, don't call us, we'll call you kind of thing. And so he's been waiting for weeks just to get a date, to get a surgery to have his gallbladder out. So they're hoping they'll solve the pancreatitis issue. And uh, so they finally called him this week and told him that, they, that his doctor would be available in March. Wow. So uh, he said, well, do you have any other doctors? So uh, yes, we do. So January the 23rd is his surgery. I uh, just want to keep you up to, up to date on him. Uh, second, uh, this is our last weekend of the year. I sent you uh, a letter about year-end giving, uh, but I just want to remind you that uh, Tuesday uh, on the 31st is the last day to get those gifts in for, for IRS purposes for this year. And so our campus will be open till noon. Uh, you can certainly give online. A lot of you are giving online these days. It's great. I uh, just want to encourage you that if you, if you make your gift uh, online, uh, that you do it before 10 o'clock on, um, on that day, because uh, on the 31st, because it takes a couple hours for your bank to post sometimes so for, for the IRS. So that's just some information on that. And finally, uh, we, we won't hit this big today, but uh, if you're here at Rocky Peak for any length of time, you know that uh, the, the heart and soul of our church are life groups. And so uh, we're in the midst of life group sign-up season right now. We're not doing it on the patio because it's New Year's uh, weekend. We will be doing that next week, but if you want to jump on board uh, and sign up for a life group, you can do that online. And so, uh, and then next weekend, we will have some people out there to help. But the, the life group season starts in a couple weeks on, on uh, January the 12th, It'll be the next 10-week session. Uh, for those of you who are new, this is the heart and soul of our church. This fall, we had 88% of our weekend attendance in life groups. We have over 120 meeting throughout the four, uh, four valleys we serve. And so that really becomes... Um, the, uh, it's the, the best way to connect, meet new people, uh, get involved, and so on. So if you're, if you're not involved, I encourage you to do that. Uh, obviously, the earlier you sign up, the more options you have, and so I'll leave that in your court until next week. But we're going to go into our time of teaching now, and uh, if inside your program is a message note sheet, and so uh, if you're going to take that out, it's kind of the green and, and white sheet for those who are new. And if you're uh, all set, we're going we're gonna to jump in. How are you guys feeling today? Are you feeling okay? All right, yeah. Tr traditionally, this is kind of a week you are wiped out. You know, it's just like, it's kind of like, it's, you know, it's done. We're just done with Christmas and we're still, we're, we're still kind of healing from that event, that trauma in our life. And so uh, anyway, it's great to be with you. And I'm excited today with the message. So I uh, hope you can kind of hang with me. We'll jump in there together and see what God wants to do. So let's pray. Lord, we're just thankful for here, being here on the verge of a, a brand new year. Uh, a clean white slate, uh, uh, the whiteboard of our lives is empty. Uh, what you're going to do, we don't know yet. We just want—we want to live this well. And so we pray that today you would come, be our teacher, God. Be with me as I as I lead and teach. Uh, just the words I share, the way I share them. I pray for us as a church that we'd gather around your word, that you would speak supernaturally by your Spirit. We pray for those who are visiting or brand new here, our guests. We pray this would be a great time you'd encounter them in a powerful way, and uh, their lives would be changed. And we pray it in your name, Amen. Well, today we're uh, continuing this series uh, that we've been in the last four weeks, and it's, uh, it's a series called Real Christmas. Today we're actually wrapping it up, and for those of you who are new, let me just step back for a minute and set the stage. Uh, for the last year, 
as a church, uh, we've been studying the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Mark, and he wrote a gospel. But when Mark's writing his gospel, he doesn't include the early years of Jesus' life, like his birth and the events surrounding his birth. And so what we've been doing in this series is going back in time to ask the question, what was it really like to be there that first Christmas? And more importantly, what are these key events, uh, kind of where do they fit in the larger story that God is telling of his rescue mission of planet Earth? And so uh, we've been doing that. So today we're gonna be wrapping up that series but today is also going to be preparing us for the new year. And so, uh, and then on top of that, uh, the third thing, this is going to prepare us for our new series. We're starting next week on, on the life and teaching of Jesus, kind of the final uh, third installment, the, the, the third uh, piece of the trilogy for that, that study of Christ's life. And so uh, we got a lot going on today. But uh, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. If you've got your apps, uh, go ahead and turn those on. And uh, there in your note sheets, there's a section called The Temple Trip circumcision, dedication, and purification. And I, I want to set this up. If you were here last weekend, uh, we, we left uh, Jesus. Uh, actually, Jesus wasn't born yet. Uh, the angel had appeared to Joseph and given him these prophecies about the coming of his son. And, uh, and then uh, we, we, we saw his name was Emmanuel, God with us. And so now we're jumping ahead. Uh, Jesus has now been born. In fact, if you're here Christmas Eve, we talked about this, how uh, Jesus has been born, the angels have come and so on, announcing his birth. And now we're jumping ahead about a month and a half in time. Uh, so the uh, uh, Mary, uh, Joseph, uh, Jesus, they are, are living in Bethlehem. It's about five miles south of Jerusalem. Jesus is just a month and a half old. He's eating well. He's not sleeping through the nights yet. Uh, but uh, Mary's got the bags under her eyes. You new moms understand that. Uh, for, for, uh, fortunately, they weren't using formula so Joseph could sleep. Anyway, uh, so, so that's where we're at. We're a month and a half. We're a month and a half into his life. And so now at the month and a half uh, point, at the 40-day point, a, a key event is going to happen in the life of this young family that's going to give us a window into who Jesus is, why he's come, uh, and what it means to follow him. And so what's going to happen is they're going to travel up to Jerusalem, five miles away. Now, uh, if you're a Jew and you follow the law, you love God, you love his word, there's certain things that you would do in their culture. And so when a, when a new baby was born, especially a baby boy, certain things would, would, would come into uh, practice, certain traditions, certain rituals. And there on your note sheet in this section, you see the three, I mentioned them, circumcision, dedication, and purification. And all those three are going to play into the story today. And so I want to quickly kind of set this up by going over those three traditions, those three rituals, the three things required by the law so we understand what's going on. So the first, the first tradition or ritual is circumcision. Uh, this tradition goes all the way back to Abraham, who's the father of the Jewish race. When he's 100 years old, he has this, this, this child that's born kind of supernaturally uh, that they're able to have a kid in their old age uh, named Isaac. And God comes, he says, hey, Abraham, through you and through your line, I'm going to bless the whole world. One day, a Messiah is going to come through your line. So one day, through you, the whole nation, the whole, uh, whole world will be blessed. And, uh, and so I, I want to have a sign between you and your descendants that kind of mark you as my people and through the line, the Messiah is going to come. And so he gives them the, the sign of circumcision. Now, I'm not sure how, you know, exciting he was to have his sign at 100 years old. 
uh, Noah got the rainbow. But uh, anyway, uh, anyway, so from that, from that point on, uh, every child that's from the line of Abraham uh, is going to be circumcised. And so Jesus is from the line of Abraham. So he's, eight, he's, he's going to be circumcised, right? So that's the first one. Number two. Uh, the second law re- involves the law of, uh, of dedication. And so this goes back to uh, the time of the Passover. And so you remember when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, Pharaoh doesn't want to let him go. And so that God brings a series of 10 plagues to force his hand. The 10th the, the and most devastating plague was that an angel of death is going to pass through the land and that uh, all the firstborns of, uh, firstborn sons of the land are going to die. And so God comes to the nation of Israel and he says, hey, I want to protect you from this. And so what you need to do, sacrifice a lamb, uh, have a, a celebration meal, take the blood of the lamb, uh, smear it on the doorposts, around your doorposts. So when the angel of death comes in, he sees that blood uh, and he keeps on moving. He passes over your house so there's no judgment. And of course, this was a picture of the lamb of God who would one day come and die for us and then we would be passed over. The judgment would pass over our lives. But anyway, so they celebrate this, the Passover and then afterwards God says, hey, because I spared your sons, your firstborn sons, from now on, whenever you have a firstborn son, he belongs to me, and I want you to dedicate him uh, to me. And so there's certain dedication ceremonies you went through, all right? That's the second law. The third law was the law of purification. And what it said was that uh, when, when a woman would have a child, she would need to go through a purification rite process. And the reason for this is because uh, blood in the Old Testament was sacred, the life of the body was in the blood. And so anytime there was an emission of blood from anyone, warfare, whatever, uh, that person becomes ritually unclean and they have to go through a process of ritual cleansing. And so obviously in childbirth, a lot of blood's involved. And so uh, when a mom would have a baby, uh, if it was a baby boy, there were certain steps that you would go through. And so seven days in, you would do uh, the kind of stage one of your purification. And then 33 days later at the 40-day mark, you do the second stage, all right? So you got three ceremonies. You got circumcision, dedication, purification. They're all gonna come into play in this account today. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to uh, chapter two. And uh, we'll pick it up at verse 21. And so on the eighth day, uh, so it's eighth day, what happens on the eighth day? Oh, the rest of you a little slow on that. All right, what happens on the eighth day? Good, I just got to keep you awake. Uh, so the eighth day, uh, when it was time to circumcise him, he's named Jesus. And of course, remember that this was a name that uh, the angel had given to Mary before conception, given to Joseph about three or four months in when he finds out that she's pregnant. And so, uh, so he's named Jesus. It means Yahweh is salvation. When the, na- when the name of the angel had given him uh, before he'd been conceived. And so when the time of their pur- purification, it's the second, the second ritual, according to the law of Moses, uh, had been completed. This is uh, recorded in Leviticus 12. Uh, Joseph and Mary take him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This is the dedication. So he's been circumcised. uh, He's been named. Now they're going to go to Jerusalem. Uh, She started the purification process. It's time to finish that and dedicate him at the same time. Uh, And then Luke says, as is written in the law of the Lord, this is from Exodus 13, 
every firstborn male is to be consecrated or dedicated to the Lord. And so, uh, and, and she's also going, verse 24, to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, this is Leviticus 12, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And so what the law said is that when the, when the woman, uh, when the mom would come to be purified, that the normal offering she would bring, uh, sacrifice would be a lamb. But that if uh, the couple was poor, they're allowed to substitute a couple doves. And so what we're seeing here is that, you know, it's a month and a half in. Uh, and so it's time to take their child to the Lord to dedicate him. And there was a, a certain uh, money payment, an offering you made. And then uh, it was time for her purification. They're a poor young family just starting out. And so they're going to substitute the doves for the lamb. All right. So, so that's, that's kind of part one of this story. We've set it up. Now, uh, part two, we're going to meet a man named Simeon. He's a really interesting guy. Uh, he's a guy that uh, is a, a godly man. He loves God. He loves people. Uh, he, he's a man of the word. He's, he's been kind of pouring over the ancient Hebrew scriptures. Of course, they prophesy that one day uh, God will return to the nation. Uh, remember that the, the nation of Israel, they're living under Roman rule. It's a tough time. Uh, the reason they're living under Roman rule is about five or 600 years before they disobeyed God so badly, they got into exile into Babylon. They lost the land, lost the temple. God had brought them back to the land, but it had never been the same. They're living under foreign rule. And so the prophets had predicted that one day the kingdom of God would come. One day all wrongs would be turned to right. One day, one day God would come back, forgive the nation, heal the nation. Messiah would come. The whole world would be restored. New heavens and new earth. And so uh, this goes by different terms in the Old Testament. But, but here uh, Luke is going to describe this as the consolation of Israel. That God is going to come to console or to comfort his nation. So, so Simeon is this man reading the word, studying the prophecies, praying over them. He's a godly guy, and we're told the Holy Spirit's on him. That, that uh, he's a man who's led by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's actually spoken to him. And he's told him that he is not going to die before he sees the, quote, Lord's Christ. Before he sees Yahweh's Christ. Remember, Christ means Messiah. Right? Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. He says, you're not going to die. So here's this guy, and on this particular day, that Mary and Joseph, they're headed towards the temple to carry out the law, to obey God, to dedicate their son, to finish the purification. They're coming up right. Remember, the temple complex is huge. So let's set this up. This is not like going to church. You go to synagogue every week. You go to temple only a few times a year. Temples where sacrifices are. Temples where the priests are. Temple is huge. Three football fields long on one side, the campus. Five football fields on the other. The temple grounds are 35 acres. When you come to the temple, you can see it from miles away. It is glistening with white marble and covered with gold. It looks like it's snowing. So, so going to the temple is huge. It's big. They're coming for these ceremonies. It's a very special day in their life. They're dedicating their sub. They're, one part of the story, they're making their way into the temple complex. Other side of the story is this man named Simeon. God speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks to him that day. And, he, and the Holy Spirit moves him to go to the temple. He didn't know why he's going. The text doesn't say this. My, my hunch would be he doesn't know why he's going. Uh, it, it's possible he said, yeah, this, here's why you're going. But my, my hunch is because God usually doesn't do this. When God leads us, he doesn't really tell us the whole story. He usually tells us, you know, it's like Abraham, right? Hey, take off, 
head that direction. Take your whole family, leave your city. Like, where am I going? I'll let you know when you get there. And that's usually how this works. So my hunch is that, that, uh, that Simeon is just led to go by, to the he doesn't know why, but he obeys. And, and what happened is, is, so Simeon's coming to the temple from one direction, probably not knowing why he's going, led by the Holy Spirit. These, this young family who's coming to the temple, they know exactly why they're coming or why they think they're coming. They're coming to honor God, follow his word, dedicate, purify, whatever. And as they come into this temple complex, there's a divine appointment that God has orchestrated this. And God is gonna to speak to Simeon and say, that couple, see that couple over there, that's the guy, that's the kid. That, that's the one I've been talking, that's when the scripture says, that's the person. And so Simeon is gonna make his way over to this young couple, you know, they got their cool stroller they just got for Christmas. Uh, they're gonna make it up and he's gonna say, hey, my name is Simeon, I'm glad to meet you, I'm part of the First Impressions team here at the temple. And so, hey, uh, what brings you here? And I don't know why you're here, but I'd love to talk with you. And what a cute baby. And what's his name? Jesus. And they're going, he's going, Jesus. He's going, Yahweh is salvation. This is good. And so, uh, you know, so, so he said, hey, can I pray for your baby? And they're like, no, you look weird. You're old. No, just kidding. Uh, he's like, they say, yes. And so he takes the baby. He's going to bless the baby, right? And as he begins to speak, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to begin speaking through him. He's going to prophesy over this child. This is a man who loves God, those people pressing into the word, praying, God's spoken to him in the past, leading him in this day, he's followed leading the spirit, and now God's gonna use him. And so let's see what happens. And so they, they offer, they're going to offer the sacrifice, verse 25, now there is a man in Jerusalem, he's called Simeon, he's righteous, he's devout, he, he loves God, he's waiting for the quote, consolation of Israel, right, this, uh, this kind of restoration of the nation, and the Holy Spirit is upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Catch that out. The Lord's the Yahweh's Messiah. And so moved by the Spirit. He's being led by the Spirit. He heads in this huge temple courts. Probably doesn't know what he's looking for. And, and when the parents across the way, the parents, they're bringing the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law requires. They're coming to obey God and his word. And all of a sudden they see each other. And he goes up. I'm sure he introduces himself. And he asks to pray for this child. And so Simeon takes him in his arms and he praises God. And he says, Sovereign Lord, or in the Greek it's Sovereign Master. He says, As you have promised, uh, you now may dismiss your servant in peace, right? God had promised him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. He says, I've, I've now seen him. You fulfilled your promise. We don't know if he's 30 years old, 40 years old, 80 years old. We don't know how old he is, but he says, I'm ready to go uh, because you've kept your promise. And so he takes him and he, and he begins speaking into the child's life, speaking over his life. The Holy Spirit's gonna speak through him. And he says, in verse uh, 30, he says, for my eyes have seen your what? Salvation, I'll underline that. We're gonna come back to that word later. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, not just the nation of Israel, all people. For, uh, and, and now he's gonna quote from Isaiah 49. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And so in Isaiah 49, it's this passage about this coming mysterious, quote, servant of the Lord, servant of Yahweh who's gonna come. And God says, it's too small to just raise you up for the, for, for the nation of Israel. I'm gonna use you to bless the whole world. And so he quotes from that, that, uh, that, uh, that prophecy in Isaiah 49. And he says, you're a light of revelation uh, for the Gentiles. In other words, you're gonna light the path. You're gonna light it up. You're gonna show the whole world the path of salvation. And you're the glory of your people Israel. 
See, the most important thing about the nation of Israel, the reason God chose the nation of Israel, was to create a people through whom the Messiah could come, who would save the world. So the, most, the coolest thing that ever happened to the nation of Israel, it's through them that the Messiah came. That's our boy. That's the glory. The glory of the nation of Israel is the Messiah. And so, they, of course, the child's father and mother, they're just marveled at what's being said. And I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a second. Think of everything that's been said about this kid. I mean, before he's born, the angel shows up to Mary, the father, you know, the, the kingdom of the father David and the son of God. And so on. And then, and then Three months later, he shows up to Joseph and name him this and name him that, God with us, Emmanuel, and, and then the shepherds, and, and then you jump ahead the, the third time, the shepherds, you know, show up, and they come up and say, hey, knocking on the doors, like Christmas Eve, right, knocking on the doors, you got a baby here, swaddling clothes, happy in a manger, yeah, yeah, that's a kid, and they're saying, hey, let me tell you about this kid, what's been said about this kid, then they, they come to the temple, and they see Simeon, and he makes these prophecies, and they're, they're just kind of blown away. Like, whoa, and there's marveling. Luke goes on, he tells us later in the day, while they're still at the temple doing their thing, an elderly lady comes up, a woman who's been a a widow for like 87 years. And she comes up, and she's a godly woman, and she asks if she can see the child. And then she begins prophesying, speaking of this child's life, and and how this child is going to bring the, quote, redemption of Israel, which is another way of talking about the kingdom of God. We talk about consolation of Israel, the, the redemption of Jerusalem. It's another way of talking about the restoration. And so after that, then, then Luke says that in verse 39, so when, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they'd kind of carried out the word, then they, they returned to Galilee to their hometown, their own town of Nazareth. So Luke is now jumping ahead in time because we know from Matthew that what actually happened next, they went back to Bethlehem. Uh, a few months later, whenever it was, the Magi show up. After the Magi show up, uh, then uh, Herod's going to come to try to kill the child. Jesus and his family are going to flee when he's very, very young to, uh, uh, to Egypt for a couple years. And then they come back. They go, let's not go back to Bethlehem. It's too dangerous there. Let's go back to our hometown of Nazareth, about, about 90 miles north of Jerusalem. And so Luke is jumping ahead in the story, just kind of skipping all that, jumping ahead. And so, so Jesus is going to be raised now. He's going to be raised by this godly mom and dad. This mom and dad who love God, uh, they love his word, they're carrying out the word in his life. He's going to be raised in this family, this just great little Jewish family where, uh, you know, chances are they're going to start having brothers and sisters, right? The evidence which suggests they're going to end up having at least seven kids in the family. He's going to be the older brother. But he, he's going to be growing up in this, this, his, this mom and dad who love God, honor his word every Friday night. They'll be welcoming Queen, the Queen Shabbat, the Queen of the Sabbath in. As a, as a, as a, uh, every Friday night, they'll, they'll shut down their house. They'll begin, uh, it's time for worship, time for prayer, uh, time for rest, for laughter. Uh, the next day, he'll go up to synagogue every week. Every week in synagogue, he'll be learning the story of Israel, learning the stories of God's past with his nation, learning the promises of a Messiah, learning the promises of the kingdom of God. Uh, He'll be learning the prayers of Israel. He'll be learning to memorize them and recite them. During the week as he's a little boy, he'll start going to school in his his town there, and he'll be uh, begin educated by the rabbis, and he'll learn how to read, and he's going to learn how to to read the Torah. He'll be memorizing Torah. And so next time we see him in Luke's gospel, he's going to be 12 years old. 
And sure enough, uh, he's going to be traveling from Nazareth with his family uh, during Passover down to the temple because this is what they do every year. Uh, they, the, the law required that every family goes three, the men go three times a year. And so Passover was the biggest Every year, Luke says, as was their custom, they're going down to Jerusalem. So he's walking into that 35-acre uh, uh, temple every year. He's participating in the sacrifices. He's, he's learning, he's hearing, he's, he's beginning to discuss at 12 years old uh, with the religious leaders, having questions for them. And so Luke says, uh, he wraps it up by saying, verse 40, the child grew, he became strong, he was a healthy, strong young man, uh, he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him, all right? And so in this event that happens today, this prophecy of Simeon, though, we have a window into the future, uh, who this child is, why he's come, what it means to follow him. And here's what I want to do today as we kind of wrap up this series. I, I want to wrap it up by talking about the gifts of Christmas, you know, this, this last weekend, or this last week, probably most of us participated in giving gifts, receiving gifts like with Christmas. And what the prophets had said in the Old Testament is when Messiah came, when that first Christmas came, that there are certain gifts that we would receive when the era of the Messiah kicked off. And, and of course, when a man or woman comes to Jesus and gives Jesus their life, it's Christmas in that person's life. The son is born in them. And, and when the Christ is born in us, uh, there are certain gifts that he brings on that Christmas moment, that Christmas day in our life. Certain gifts around our tree. And what I want to do today is Simeon looks in the future as he prophesies, Simeon identifies the three gifts of Christmas, what, what the coming of Christ means. And, and so what I want to do is spend some time unpacking these gifts with you. Uh, and, and there in your note sheet, there's a section... called Real Christmas, The Gifts of Salvation. And, and, and what I want you to do today is I, I want to use a little analogy or metaphor. Probably some of you have, have done this in your life or experienced this. Like when I was a kid, I remember from time to time, someone would give you a gift that was amazing. It would be this, this big gift, right, big box. But when you open it up, there'd be like smaller boxes wrapped inside. You ever have that? So it's like one big gift that would contain multiple gifts, and Christmas is much like that. When the, when the age of Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, there's kind of one big box gift he gives to us at Christmas, when we come to Christ, right? But, but when you open it up, you can break that down. There's like three smaller gifts that all kind of work together. And so what I want to do today is start by giving you the big box gift, and then we're going to unpack the three smaller gifts of Christmas. And then at the end, we're going to take some time to, to, to kind of unwrap those gifts and as we get ready for 2014 and use this as an unwrap to kind of prepare us. So, uh, so let's talk about the first of the big box gift. There's no place to write this on your note sheets. You can just kind of write it wherever you want there. But the big box gift, if you had to say, what is the gift that Messiah came to give us uh, at Christmas? The big box gift would be the gift of salvation, okay? And so I'll write that down somewhere, salvation. So this is what uh, Simeon says. If you look back, uh, take your Bibles and look back at chapter two and verse 30. This is why I had you underline this. Uh, start at 29. Sovereign Lord, <clears throat> as you have promised, you, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your what? Salvation. So that's a big, so Messiah, what, what uh, Simeon is saying is when Messiah comes, what that means is salvation for the human race. That, that's the big box. 
But here's the thing. In Christian, in, in Christian circles, when we talk about salvation, we often tend to truncate what salvation is about. Like, like for example, we often use the term this way. We'll ask one another, when were you saved? And what we mean by that is when did you realize who Jesus was, what he'd done for you, ask him into your life, and we're born again. That's what we mean by that. And there's nothing wrong with that question. It's just that it's a small part of what salvation is about. If you study salvation in the Bible, salvation has a past, it has a present, and it has a future. So the Bible will talk about, it will, will be passages that say, well, when you were saved, talking about your past, there'll be passages that talk about you are being saved now present. And there are passages that talk about you will be saved when Christ returns. And so, so in the Bible, salvation is a big box present. It has a past, it has a present, and it has a future. And what I want to do today is break down uh, these three aspects, these three gifts of our salvation. They have a past, a present, and a future. And so there in your note sheet, the first gift is we open the big box of salvation. The first box that, that kind of we, we, we open next in, uh, in that package is the box of forgiveness, all right? So the first box is the box of forgiveness, and this is kind of what we think of first. We think of coming to Jesus. We think about the Messiah of the air, uh, coming. We think of this gift of forgiveness, and of course, uh, when, you, when you first came to Christ, if, when you, if, if you're an adult when you came to Christ, even as a child. Probably this is the first gift that you unwrapped. So someone said, hey, you've sinned against God. Uh, you're under his judgment, under his wrath because of your rebellion. You've committed high treason against the king. And if he were to come back today, you would die. You would go to hell. And so uh, God has given you a gift, the gift of his son who's died for you. And so the gift of forgiveness is, is what he offers. And so for most of us, when we first came to Jesus, this is the first gift under the tree that we became aware of, the gift of forgiveness. And of course, the prophets in the Old Testament had prophesied this. They said, when the kingdom of God comes, when that new age comes, when uh, the Messiah comes, the one of the gifts will be forgiveness. And what God said to the nation of Israel is, in the past, you've disobeyed me, you've rebelled, you have a broken, fallen nature, you can't do the right thing. And so uh, when, the, when I'm going I'm to uh, initiate a new covenant, a new relationship with the nation, and, and I'm going to offer you forgiveness. In fact, there in your note sheet, Jeremiah 31 is a great example of this. Uh, Jeremiah 31 says, God says, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Right? So, so when the age of Messiah comes, when the Lord's Christ comes, it's the age of forgiveness. All Jews knew this. Simeon knew this. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, it's hard to say how much Simeon understands that day as he prophesies over this child. My guess is very little. What he knows is this child is bringing salvation. This child is the king. This child is the one who's going to, to, uh, to, to bring the fulfillment of the prophecies. What he doesn't know, I'm almost sure this, I'm almost sure what he doesn't know is exactly how this is going to happen and how this forgiveness is going to come. Um, but, but he's beginning to sense, the Holy Spirit's beginning to sense that this is not going to come easily. And I want you to go back to chapter two because I skipped over a couple verses of what he said because I wanted to hold them for now. But I want you to think with me. Up to this point in time, everything said about this child has been positive, hasn't it? Uh, the prophecy to Mary. The prophecies to Joseph. 
The prophecies to the angels, the prophecies we read to, to Simeon, so far, they're just off the charts. The king of David, the kingdom of God's coming, son of God, Emmanuel, God, off the charts, all been positive, not one negative. But now for the first time in the Christmas story, a month and a half after his birth, for the very first time, there are storm clouds developing on the horizon. And so I want you to see what Simeon says with his child. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined to cause the, the falling and the rising of many in Israel. This child is going to have a divisive effect. For some, it's going to lead to their rising, others to their great falling. And he says, and it's to be a sign that will be spoken against. This is not all good news. This kid's going to be controversial. And he says, so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And that word for thoughts in the Greek usually has a connotation of evil thoughts. In other words, this, this kid is going to reveal the hearts of people. And it's not always going to be pretty. It's, it's, and it's going to cause people to respond against him. And then he says this, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There's violence on the horizon for the first time. And of course, what Simeon couldn't, could not understand, did not understand, I'm sure, is how this first gift of forgiveness was gonna come. And now we know the whole story in from the beginning. And so we can visualize that scene, the cross of Jesus. So he's been beaten with an inch of his life, his bloody, body's bloody, torn up, and perhaps intestines coming out, breathing heavily on the cross, suffocating in his own lungs uh, fluid. Crown of thorns on his head, blood everywhere. And right down below him, just a few feet away, is his mother Mary. And she's watching as her son dies. And then finally he dies. And the Roman guard takes the spear and jabs it up under his heart between the ribs here to make sure he's dead. And sure enough, the blood in his heart has already, already been separated into the serum and the platelets. And out comes the gush of blood and water. And Mary was there. And she felt the sword pierce her life. See, what, what this young couple doesn't understand, what Simeon doesn't understand, is his first gift of forgiveness is going to come at a great price. The age of Messiah is going to be the age of forgiveness, but it's going to come at the cost of his life for our life. We call this in theology the doctrine of justification. It's the great exchange. We get credit for the life he lived. He pays the debt for the life we lived. There's an exchange. And right here, at the month and a half old point, there are storm clouds arising. We are entering the age of Messiah, 
the first gift will come, forgiveness. But it will come at a price. Second gift. The second gift is one we don't talk as, as much about often in Christian circles. We actually talk about it a lot here at Rocky Peak, but often in, in, in Christian circles we don't talk about it as much, and that's the gift of the Spirit. In other words, when you came to Jesus, Christ was born in you, Christmas Day in your life. When, when the Messiah came on that Christmas, uh, that, that Christmas so long ago, uh, there's certain gifts he brings. The first gift is the gift of forgiveness. We talk about that. The second gift that the prophet said the Lord's Christ would bring is the gift of the Spirit. That when Messiah came, it would initiate a whole new era in the human race. It'd be the age of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, God had told Israel what to do, but they didn't really have the power to do it. There's something broken because they shared our same fallen nature. So they're constantly rebellious, constantly falling under judgment. And so God promised that in the new age, when the, when the, when the, when the Messiah came, not only would he forgive the sins, but he would send his spirit inside his people to change them from the inside out. So the spirit would lead us, he would guide us, and he would transform us. He would change us from the inside, give us the desire to do what's right and good and true. So it's one thing to tell your teenager to clean their room. It's another thing for them to do it. And if they do it on their own and want to, it's a miracle, right? <laughs> and so, so this was the promise of the messianic age, Teenagers would clean their rooms, and they want to. Right? The promise was is that, that God would come, and he would change us from the inside out. And so you see this, for example, in Ezekiel. There, you know, you see the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, God's prophesying or promising about this day, and he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, talking to the nation of Israel, uh, and you'll be clean. In other words, this, this first gift is forgiveness, the prophets talk about this. The age of Messiah, age of forgiveness. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. Okay? I will cleanse you, forgive you. First gift. But then he goes on, second gift. And I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone, your, your hard heart. And I'll give you a heart of flesh, a tender heart. And catch this. And I will put my what? My spirit in you. Remember we talked about last week, Emmanuel, God coming closer. We become the temple of God. This is all part of it. I'll put my spirit in you and I will what? Move you to follow my decrees. Be careful to keep my laws. I will move you. I will, internal, I will change you internally, put my heart in your heart, give you the right desires, change you from the inside out. It's one of my most frequent prayers for our church. When I pray for Rocky Peak, my journal is always the same. Draw a semicircle like right over there, right? Rocky Peak in the middle, just like that one. And then I just begin to pray and just kind of wait before God and what, what's on his heart like for our church. I'm just going to pray. And I'm just, just going to pray words over our church. And often as I'm praying for our church, this passage from Ezekiel comes to my mind. And I pray, God, would you move us to do your will? What would you move us to, to love as you love? Would you move us to have a passion for you? Would you move us so our priorities are your priorities? Would you move us in the area of generosity? Would you move us in the area of sacrifice and service? Would you move us 
to put first things first. And so this is the promise. When Messiah comes, it will be the age of the Spirit. And I want you to catch something. This is a huge topic for Luke, our author. Uh, many of you know this, but you know, Luke, there's, there's kind of two volumes, right? There's Luke volume one, Luke volume two. Uh, Luke volume one is the gospel of Luke. The second volume of Luke, we call it the book of Acts. So the gospel of Luke is what Jesus, quote, began to do and teach. The book of Acts is what Jesus continued to do and teach after he left through his church. And it's why, so if you open up the book of Acts, and it starts off. In my, first, in my first book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he went to heaven. You see? So it's a two-volume story. And if you study the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, what you find is that for, for Luke, one of the greatest gifts of Christmas is this gift of spirit, and it fills his pages. This is why... It's like in the Gospel of Luke, he tells you at the baptism of Jesus, Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit so he would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. This is why when you get to chapter 11 in Luke, he, uh, Jesus, he has Jesus saying that he says, uh, whenever you pray, he says, uh, ask, he says, you as, uh, he says you, you, even though you're evil, he said, you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it? Luke is the one who tells about the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost and then kind of flushes out in the book of Acts. It's often been called, Acts should be called Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's just the Holy Spirit's all through leading and guiding. Here's what I want you to catch. There is a reason why Luke is introducing us to Simeon at the start of the story of Jesus because Simeon is a model of what a passionate Christ follower looks like. Simeon is a model of what those who follow Jesus will be like. Just like in Matthew, Joseph became a model of someone who follows Jesus, someone quick to obey. Simeon becomes a model in Luke of a person who loves Jesus, uh, pressing into his word, praying to know God, praying over his life, praying over the future, and most importantly, Simeon is a man who has the Holy Spirit who's leading and guiding him. Simeon is a man listening to the Holy Spirit. Simeon is a man who wakes up that morning and the Holy Spirit says, go to the temple. He's not even sure why. Go to the, and he goes. You see, Simeon becomes a model of what this child will do in our life. Not only will he give us the first gift of forgiveness, he gives us the second gifts of the Holy Spirit. And those who follow this child will be the people who are led by the Holy Spirit in this new era. You see? Now, third gift. The third gift is the gift of the future. The prophet said that when Messiah came, not only would it be the age of forgiveness, not only the age of the spirit, but it would be the, this age where the restoration of all things. It'd be the age when the, the fields, the, the trees of the field clap their hands, when the, when the, uh, the mountains run with wine. Uh, it's an age where all wrongs are turned to right. Uh, all evil is destroyed, and all who, all who oppose what is right and good and true and just will be destroyed, and that God's Messiah will come, and he will reign, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and all wrongs will be turned to right. This incredible view of the future. Like as we, we sang today earlier, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. It's talking about that future. 
And so, so for the prophets of Israel, it's about forgiveness, it's about the spirit, and it's about the restoration of all things. This is the age of the Messiah, right? And this is what Luke is talking about when he introduces Simeon to us. He's a righteous man, he's a devout man, and he is a man who is waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's he talking about there? Well, back in Isaiah 40, the nation of Israel is far from God. They've rebelled for so long, they've lost their homeland, their slaves, their exiles, a thousand miles away from Israel in the land of Babylon. And they're wondering, have I gone too far? Have I rebelled for too long? Has God now broken the covenant? We broke our side of the deal, the covenant. Is he gonna break his? Is there any hope for us? And God sends the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 40 starts like this. Comfort, comfort my people. Bring consolation, comfort them. He says, because I'm gonna do something new in their land, in their nations. And it begins to describe when God will come back to the nation. The kingdom of God will come. These are the verses that the gospel of Mark starts off with. And so this, this word of consolation, he's waiting for the consolation. What he's talking about is when Messiah comes, returns all wrongs to right, forgives them for their sins and consoles them, comforts them. No longer will there be sadness, no longer will there be tears. They're waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's what he's talking about. And this, this future that God has planned is described in the Bible in several different ways. Like here, Luke describes it as the consolation of Israel. Anna, remember later in the day, that, during the temple, later that day, uh, there's another person who comes up to them, says, I'd like to see your child. Her name is Anna. She's been a widow for 87 years. She's an incredibly godly woman. And when she comes up, I want you to see what she says about this child. Go back to chapter two and verse 38. So it's coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all who are looking forward to the what? The redemption of Jerusalem. So consolation of Israel equals redemption of, of uh, Jerusalem. It's describing the same reality. Later, after Jesus goes to heaven, returns, uh, in Acts chapter three, the second, Luke, Luke's uh, second volume, uh, shortly after Jesus goes back, uh, Peter is delivering a message and, uh, to, the, to the, the Jewish people. And there on your note sheet, it's in Acts chapter three, it says, uh, in this message, Peter says, he, talking about Jesus, he must remain in heaven. Remember, he just returned to heaven. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to what? Restore everything uh, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And so consolation equals redemption equals restoration. It's all the same reality. The prophet said when Messiah comes, it's an age of forgiveness, it's an age of his spirit, it's an age of restoration of all things. And here's what I want you to, to understand, is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, the very moment you come to Jesus, all, you receive this big box called salvation. And as you unpack that big box, there are three boxes inside for you to unwrap. And the first one is forgiveness. The second one is his spirit. And the third is the promise of an incredible future. See? And the moment we come to Jesus, that package is now under our tree. 
Now, everything I've said today is leading up to what I'm going to say in the next few minutes. Uh, everything, everything is foundational. Everything I said is foundation. It's laying a groundwork. Like what's going to happen in the next 10, 15 minutes is what, this is kind of, this is kind of the pay dirt. This is what it's all about. All right? So I want you to kind of sit up, uh, pay attention, uh, listen clearly, and most importantly, don't be listening for what I'm saying. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Because we're on the verge of a brand new year. Right now, it's a whiteboard. Your life is a whiteboard. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what God has planned. You have not made any mistakes, no bad decisions. Like, like the future is bright. And we want to keep it that way, right? And so as we go into this new year, I want to ask you three questions. And what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you, if you would, with me to unwrap each of these gifts that Jesus has given you as a Christ follower. If you're not yet a Christ follower, let me say this. As I describe these gifts, I want you to listen carefully. These are the gifts he offers you when you come to him. And so if you want to give your life to Christ, this is what you'll receive. All right? So as we jump in, here we go. The first question. Uh, each of these three questions goes with one of the three gifts. Uh, uh, and, and one deals with our past, one deals with the present, one deals with the future. So the first one deals with the past. First question one. Number one is, are you free from your past? As we enter into this new year, 2014, are you free from your past? We've seen today the age of the Messiah is the age of forgiveness. His life for our life. And here's what I know. Is that it's impossible to run into your future if you've not let go of your past. Like God has a plan for your life in 2014. For you to experience that plan, you have to let go of the past. And this is not a new theme in the Bible. In fact, nation of Israel right there in Babylon, we talked about this. Their, their lives are a wasteland. Because of their ongoing disobedience and rebellion, their city has been destroyed. Their capital has been destroyed. It's been leveled and burned. The temple of God where God would dwell has been destroyed. They've now been in this foreign nation for 50, 60, 70 years as slaves, 1,000 miles from home. They have royally screwed up their life like no show of hands. But can anyone relate? And they're wondering, what does that mean for our future? And in the midst of that despair, in the midst of that hopelessness, in, the, in that midst of destroying their life, the prophet Isaiah speaks. And here's what God says. Isaiah 43, there in your note sheet. God says, forget the former things. He's saying, he's saying forget it. Forget the failure. Forget the regret. Forget the mistakes. Like, I want to do something new here. You need to forget it. Not, not like it never happened. But in other words, it's possible for our past to control us. In fact, he explains what he means next. He says, do not what? Dwell on your past. What God's saying is, I, I know you screwed up. I know you messed up your life. I know your life is a mess as a result of it. But I don't want you to dwell on that. Let me ask you, in your life, 
How often and how much do you dwell on the mistakes of your past? How often do you run that scenario? If I just hadn't met that woman, if I just hadn't gone to that party, if I just hadn't taken that first hit, if I, if I hadn't lied in that situation, if I hadn't betrayed that person, if I hadn't slept with that guy, if I hadn't, whatever the thing was, if I hadn't had that abortion, how many times, how much energy do you spend dwelling on the regrets of your past? Here's what I want you to hear. God says it's time to forget your past. And the reason is because of this gift of forgiveness. It's not like minimizing what you did. Yeah, it was horrible. But someone else has stepped up and paid the bill. And so now it's time to move on. And so he goes on and he says, God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. That C is like, hey, wake up, behold, uh, hey, don't miss it. He says, I want to write a new chapter in your life. I can't write that new chapter in your life if you're always rereading the old chapters. I need you to move on. He says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? He says, can't you begin to sense what I'm doing? And he says, I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the what? Wait, he says, you wasted your life. Your life is a waste. He says, but, but I'm going to be able to do something new. My spirit is going to pour through. Uh, living water is going to come. I'm going to bring water into the desert. We're going to turn that desert into a garden. I want to do something new. But in order for me to do something new, you have to let go of something old. So as we enter this new year, the question I have is, are you free from your past? And I really mean it at two different levels. On the one level, is there any sin or failure or mistakes or stupid decisions or whatever it was that you made in your past that you would do anything to do, re, redo, get a redo of that? But that it, it holds you. Like you're here today and you're not sure that God can really work in your life. You're not sure he can really do something new. You're not sure... He, you kind of feel like a second-class citizen. You're not sure that God can forgive that or you'll ever be normal or you ever can really have a passionate relationship with God or he could ever use you because of this thing. And the enemy keeps taking back to this thing. What is this thing? Is it a divorce? Is it an immorality? Is it a drug usage? Is it a betrayal? Is it a abort? What is your thing? And the enemy keeps taking you back and say, you can never have a future because of your past. And God says, you need to forget it. That's why I sent Messiah to cover that. So you can move on. So, so is there anything? But I want to ask this question in a little different way. I want to ask this question, is there anyone you need to forgive this year so you can move into your future? You see, when we step into the kingdom of forgiveness, the age of Messiah, it's a two-way street. The deal is, we forgive as we've been forgiven. It's, it's a two-way street. Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their sins, God will not forgive you, you yours. We forgive others as they forgive, as, you know, or uh, you know, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven others. So here's the thing about, here's the thing about bitterness. 
when you hold on to bitterness, it keeps you rooted in the past. Have you ever seen, this just kind of always cracks me up. I, I just don't feel comfortable with this. Some of you may do this, so I don't mean to be offensive. Uh, but have you ever seen like in the mall, those kids, like parents have them on leashes? They got the whole kind of leash thing, halter thing there. Looks kind of like a dog thing, right? I don't really get it. I don't really get it. If you do that, I'm not trying to be offensive, but I probably already am. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but just watch that little kid. You know, he's got an idea. He's running a certain way. You know, just kind of pulls up. Right? Sit. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm training him. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, here's a candy. Uh, anyway, uh, When we don't forgive someone from our past, it's like we have a leash on our life. We cannot run in our future because we start running and all of a sudden we get jerked back. When you refuse to forgive someone who's hurt you, you give them control over your life. And so God comes and says, you need to let them go. Remember this, forgiveness doesn't mean like they're off the hook. I mean, God's gonna deal with them. It's just really saying, it's not my job to deal with them. There's a God who's smart, way smarter than I, makes really good decisions. So I'm going to trust him to deal with this. But I'm going to let him go. I'm going to let him off the hook. I'm going to cancel that debt. And now you're able to move into your future. So here's the thing. I, I don't know what 2013 was for you, or as far as that goes, what the other years before that were like. For some of you, it's probably an amazing year. Years of growth, following Jesus, you're thriving, you're growing, God's using you. It's been an amazing year. Not perfect, but it's a great year. For others of you here, 2013 may have been a year of compromise, a year of rebellion, and a year of sin that's led to a wasteland. And the good news is, as we had it on the, on the brink of a new year, is that the gift under your tree is forgiveness. So I want to encourage you to turn from that, whatever it was, open that tree, open that gift, take it out, breathe deeply. You have a new future. You have a God who loves you. He's got great plans for your life. Don't listen to the enemy. Move in that future. Watch those streams coming in the desert. Let him turn your wasteland into a garden. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, okay, second gift. Second question this one deals with our, our present, is are you following the Spirit? So we saw today that the second gift that the Messiah brings is heir, is heir of the Spirit. He comes to live in us, to, to lead us to God. Simeon is a model for this, right? Simeon, a guy kind of pressing into God's word, a guy spending time in prayer, kind of praying over the future, and a guy that when the Spirit leads, he follows. He moves into the temple that day. And so the question is, are we following that spirit in your life? Here's the thing I want you to catch. See, God had a plan for Simeon's life. He told him about the plan a long time ago. Uh, Simeon, part of the plan for your life is um, you're, you're going to see the, the Messiah before he comes, I mean, before, before you die. That's part of the plan. But I want you to think with me, what would have happened to Simeon and God's plan for his life had he not listened to the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life on that day? This is not like going to church. It's not synagogue. Like Mary and Joseph are not showing up every day. 
They're only coming to dedicate their child once. She's only coming to be purified after the birth once. This place is massive. It's huge. God is about what happens if Simeon doesn't listen to the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you what. He's going to miss God's plan for his life. That's what's going to happen. He's not going to see the Lord's Christ. And one of the things I love about Simeon, is like I said, is that my hunch is true. I don't think he knew why he was going in that day. When he wakes up that day, whatever, he just feels the Holy Spirit's telling him to go to the temple. He doesn't really know. He just goes. He just obeys. He just listens and he goes. He follows the leading spirit and it leads him into his future. It leads him into God's plan. It leads him into his destiny. I want to challenge you with something. Many times in our lives, we wait until the future is crystal clear before we want to wait and follow, before we're ready to follow the spirit. Like the Spirit's moving us to do something. He's moving some of you to start a new ministry or get involved in a ministry. He's moving some of you to increase your financial giving to his kingdom. He's moving some of you to get counseling for your marriage. He's moving some of you to get some wise counsel on how to better parent your kids because it's not going well. He's, he's moving some of you to, to like reevaluating your life and going back to college. Some of you, he's, 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 he's moving you towards, uh, towards a new career path, right? And he's moving you, but you're sitting still because you want to know the end of the story. You're like, well, yeah, but if I give more, how will I pay the bills? Well, if I go to college, how will I pay for that? Well, if I start this ministry, uh, what if I fail? Well, who's going to help me? Well, if we go to counseling, what if it doesn't work? And so the Spirit's moving, and you're not following because you want to see the end of the story from the beginning. Can I tell you something? People who wait, who want to see the end of the story from the beginning, never see the end of the story. It's not the way faith works. If you want to experience your divine encounters this year in the temple of your life, you need to bathe yourself in the word. You need to spend time with him in prayer, and then you need to follow where he leads. Finally, third question. Third gift under the tree is the future. And so the question is, are you focusing on the future? The age of Messiah is the age of the restoration of all things. We know that now when Jesus comes back, all wrongs will be turned to right. Jesus talked about this all the time. Jesus said, hey, this life is all about the next life. The next life is very real. So Jesus said, only a fool would live this life for this life. He said, what, what would it gain a man? What, you could give him the whole world, but lose his life. Like, who would make that trade? I'll give you $5 billion today, but I need your heart, and I'm not giving you another one. Like, who's making that? Only a fool, right? Jesus says, hey, to live this life for this life is the most stupid thing you could ever do. He said, the next life is real, and so you want to live this life for the next life. So he's always talking about it. Lay up treasures on, not on earth, but in heaven. Uh, Blessed are you when men persecute you uh, and say evil things about you. As great is your reward in heaven. He's constantly pointing us to the reality of the next life. Live this life for the next life. 
And so the question is, as we're going to 2014, are there any areas of your life you need to change? Perhaps change some priorities, some schedules, some values, some opinions, some perspectives, some actions. Is there anything you need to change so that you can begin to live this life for the next life? You know, a couple years ago, two or three years ago, we did a series at the start of the year, January, and it was called The Simple Life. We talked about uh, the priorities in life and how to live life uh, to get the most out of it. And, and a lot of you were here, then you probably remember this. We said that uh, one of the, the first things we said is, uh, if you want to put the first things first, you have to what? Yeah, put the first things first. There's some choices you have to make. And we said one of the best ways to measure a person's priorities is by looking at two places. You look at their checkbook and you look at their calendar. Because the checkbook tells you where they're investing their resources and their calendar tells you where they're investing their time. So I have a question for you. If you are arrested today as a Christ follower, for being a Christ follower, and the only evidence they had against you was a checkbook and your calendar the last year, would there be enough evidence to convict you? They look at your checkbook, they're like, no, this person's not a, a Christ follower, they're a Nordstrom worshiper. <laughs> I, you know, look at it. Oh, no, no, they also worship at Best Buy. It's... <laughs> no, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, hey, you can't serve God in money, and so seek first my kingdom. He said, that's what Jesus said. There's no evidence this person's Christ follower. They open up a calendar. How do we know what Jesus said about prayer, about loving others, about serving, about using your gifts, about sharing Christ with others? Let's look at the calendar. And also we open up, and what we find is that the things that are on calendar are the most important are things like piano lessons, soccer club. In fact, you know, raising our kids, it's obvious it's more important to have them in soccer than having a youth group. There's no, there's no really time with God. I call them a Christ follower. They don't have time with God. I don't see in this calendar really service happening using their gift. You see what I'm saying? Like, like if some, I mean, let's just be honest. You take out, your, take out your checkbook, take out your calendar, and what do they tell you about what's important for you? Are you living this life for the next life? And see, so as followers of Jesus, we gather around this Christmas tree this year. We talk about the birth of Christ, a real Christmas. And as we unwrap these gifts, this gift called salvation, this big box gift, we find there are three gifts. It's the gift of forgiveness, the gift of the spirit, and the gift of incredible future. And so the question then is, are we unwrapping those gifts? Are we living that life? Because what we find today, that the cost of the Christmas tree the price of the Christmas tree was the cost of his life on the cross tree. Those gifts that are around our tree were purchased at the cost of his life to give you an amazing year. And so the question is, are you unwrapping those gifts?
Let's pray. Father, we just pray as we come. We're so thankful the start of a new year. It's a clean slate. It's a whiteboard. Nothing's been done wrong. We've not missed any opportunity. It's just, it's wide open. And God, we just want to make the most of this year. And so we pray you'd come as our leader. God, that we'd be a people pressing into your word, spending time with you. And out of that time with you, listening for your spirit, following your spirit, living for the next life, that this would be an incredible year. We pray as we bring you our gifts and offerings now, you'd use them to create a place here where many could come to Christmas and open this gift of salvation. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we worship? Well, happy new year. And uh, may this be a year, the slate is blank right now. It's a blank whiteboard. Uh, may this be a year that God writes a beautiful story in your life. It'd be a year where you press into this forgiveness that God has given you, that your past would not hinder. You release those that you've held up through perhaps bitterness. You'd let go so you could move in your future. May this be a year where you're pressing into God in his word and prayer, uh, listening to his spirit, quick to obey, not waiting to the end of the story to take action, and maybe a year you live this life for the next life. I hope you can join us again uh, next weekend, because next week we kick off a brand new series. Uh, this will be the third, it's kind of like The Hobbit, you know, we have trilogy. Uh, we've got the, the third in our series on the life and teaching of Jesus. This last series uh, is inside your program. It's this invite card. It's called Jesus, the Crucified King. We're going to jump in. We're going to spend some time on the last week of Jesus' life. We're actually going to spend the next six months on the last week of Jesus' life. And it's going to be just a great time as we press in the life of Jesus, what it means to be a follower. But I, we're giving you this invite cards because, again, remember, a couple things happen. Actually, three things happen every January. First of all, people go back to the gym, right? Secondly, they start a diet. And the third thing is for many people, it's a time of spiritual hunger. It's a time of saying, hey, maybe I need some God in my life, maybe a little church in my life. I don't know what I'm looking for. And there's just an openness. And so we see it every year. So this is a great time as you're praying for your one lives. Maybe there's someone you're working with. If they're just, all they're looking at, it's just a simple invitation. Hey, we're doing a new series. And it's on Jesus, the last week of his life. It's going to be great. Why don't you come? Uh, here's the thing. Easy, right? And so you, there's more of these out in the patio if you, if you need them. But I want to encourage you just to be listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying because there may be someone that's in your life right now that God's going to use you to bring to faith. And they're going to come. And it's going to be Christmas for them. Uh, and these gifts are going to come in their life. And so until next week, may the Lord be with you. May he lead you. May you be quick to obey, quick to listen. May you move well into the future that he has for you, full of forgiveness, led by his spirit, eyes locked on the future, that we might live this life for the next life, and this would be the best year yet. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.